This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday time for our Zoomer squad and there is momentous news in the carp world. The Ontario government has acted on a major carp ask and that is firing long-term care minister, now former long-term care minister, Marilee Fullerton. She's being replaced by former finance minister, Rod Phillips, who's been benched for a while after taking that ill-advised trip to St. Bart's while the rest of us were in lockdown. Now, I think putting him in this portfolio is a sign of how much the government realizes that they are being held responsible for much of the carnage and the damage in long-term care, especially after the first wave. What do you think? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, excuse me, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'm joined by the Zoomer Squad's David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Membership Officer at CARP, with Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Hey, guys. Hey, Libby. Hi, Libby. Hello, everyone. Hi, Libby. Hi. So, uh, big news uh, released late on a Friday afternoon. Uh, well, maybe not so late. Uh, Bill, your reaction? Well, it's a win for CARP. It vindicates the position we... Uh, uh, that CARP uh, took, and uh, uh, we're, we're pleased to see that it uh, happened, and now we're watching carefully to see the changes that must be made by the, uh, the new leader. David? I agree with Bill. It vindicates our position, but I also think, uh, as you said in the intro, it demonstrates how serious the whole topic is. Um, I think they feel they can't go into an election, which is, I think, almost a year to the day from today, without uh, a much more uh, aggressive approach to this file and possibly a track record of a few things that, you know, Phillips may may do. And I think that the seriousness uh, that they're approaching this is also a further vindication of uh, the noise that CARP's been making on this topic. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Peter, is it, uh, as they say, uh, closing the barn doors after the horses have escaped? Well, it certainly seems like that, Libby. And, and it raises questions on, you know, whether Ford let her remain at her post until the worst of the pandemic was over so she could be sort of the scapegoat for it all. And then as soon as things are looking up, he, he shuffles her out and, and uh, puts in a new new face to sort of turn the page on all that uh, misery and put it behind them. So it certainly seems like a very calculated move by the Ford government. And, um, you know, uh, she was a highly unpopular minister, but it, it took him forever to move. And, um, you know, there was criticism from CARP. There was criticism from the press. There was criticism from the opposition, and he stuck with her, and now it, it, it seems like it's a very calculated move. Well, you know what? I'm, I have no doubt that, that that analysis is correct. I mean, you know, the NDP uh, made a little bit of noise that because of, of Rod Phillips, you know, he left under a cloud. But I think it was always clear that he was going to be brought back in. He's considered very competent. Uh, Bill, so what do you think? Uh, what do you think that he has to do more than? And their stated plans, like they keep announcing in dribs and drabs, they're doing this or that or the other thing. Or do you think he has to do something drastic? Well, he he, what he needs to do is take action now and not uh, plans and promises for the for the future. And he he has been a person like that in in the past in his his other roles. The other thing that Carp. Uh, is sure that he has to do is take a long, hard look at the ministry itself. 
the deputy, the assistant deputies who have been ineffectual uh, and unsupportive of the previous uh, minister. Uh, uh, we fe- I actually felt sorry on occasion for uh, Marilee Fuller. She seemed to be left out uh, to dry by her own staff. And we would expect uh, Rod Phillips to come in hard and that we could very easily see a change in uh, deputy minister of long-term care as, as a part of uh, the series of change if the premier is serious about really taking action now. David, you know, I think it's going to go beyond uh, a couple of very senior functionaries. So what we knew about Marilee Fullerton, number one, she could not make her her will be accepted around the cabinet table. So I think that uh, with Phillips, that's going to be a different story. But in, in beyond, there's the bureaucracy that wasn't listening to her, wasn't moving quickly, but it, it was also the homes themselves. I mean, one of the things is that there, there's no consequence. You can have, a, you know, order on order on order of deficiencies and then nothing happens. What, what do you think he has to do on that I, front? I think he has to show that he is going to change the culture of the ministry. And I think he's going to be looking for two things some showcase actions he can take right off the top that are different. But number two, if you read the Morocco Commission, <clears throat> excuse me, when you read the Auditor General's report, there were deep systemic issues. The Ministry of Long-Term Care was a poor cousin of the Ministry of Health. wasn't really long-term care homes are kind of health care, but not really health care. The ministry was sort of the, the afterthought. And so I think that his job is going to be to make it front and center and candidly somebody with equal seniority and equal clout who uh, work with Christine Elliott, the Minister of Health, and between the two of them to reshape the whole structure according to the hundreds of recommendations between Morocco and Lissick, the Auditor General. He's got a very clear list to do list. And I think that the Ford government's going to be judged, and CARP's certainly going to try to make it that way, going to be judged by how many of those items get um, get dealt with. Okay, I'm going to take a call from Bob in Milton. Hi, Bob. Hi, how are you today? Fine, how are you? Good, good. I guess my question mainly is for the gentleman from CARP. As I know for ages, he's been after um, Meriwether there about, uh, or Mary uh, regarding the job that she was doing. And I have a big question. How much authority does each minister have to be able to do what they want to do unless it's with the approval with Dougie Boy? Well, I think different ministers have, have different levels of, of authority. David, um, I, I think that question was addressed to you. You were the yeah. voice of all yeah. those ads. I think there's it's a great question. And it really depends on two things. How central is their file to the big agenda and the most visible agenda of the Ontario government as a whole? So there are many, many decisions that be made far off the radar because either the, the ministry itself or the file itself isn't, you know, widespread visible. And number two, you're right, where does it fit in with the premier's plans to get himself reelected? Clearly, long-term care became an issue right away, very early on. And clearly, Marilee Fullerton, with the best will in the world, and nobody's attacking her motives, with the best will in the world, didn't have either the clout or the organizational experience, the ins and outs of how, how the system worked, that Phillips brings to the party. And I think that's why he got this assignment as a signal uh, that it's being taken seriously. We are saying on this broadcast what I think the Premier wants, wants to hear said, which is uh, I'm, I'm bringing in the A-team now. Mm-hmm. Okay, Bob, thanks for your call. Uh, yeah, uh, I suppose that it's possible. Another way to look at it is is uh, this is kind of going to be his penance. You know, he's either going to fix it or it's going to take him down, Peter. Libby, it's a hugely challenging portfolio, and it's not something anyone would really want to uh, get into, especially the mess created by Fullerton. So um, 
you know, if he can come out of this smelling like roses, uh, he's, a, he's a very adept politician. Um, yeah, and, you know, um, David mentioned the institutional ins and outs. I'm not sure that he he has that kind of background anyway. He comes from the private sector. I mean, he was successful, I think, in finance, but uh, that was a whole different thing. Bill, uh, do you have he, a view? He ran oil. Well, what, he ran oil. What we do. And, um, Go ahead, Peter, and then Bill. Yeah, he ran OLG for a while, and he ran a health services uh, company. So he, he has a sort of, you know, um, uh, some kind of health background. But, but what, what uh, you know, I, I don't think he brings anything to the table from the long-term care perspective. He's going to have to sort of learn that job as he goes along because his background seems very business-oriented. Well, yeah, the, the, that's uh, what a lot of people say is part of the problem, that all, a lot of those long-term care homes are just business-oriented. Right. Uh, Bill? Well, and, and, and Peter is absolutely right. Although he's, he's, he's dabbled in the health care uh, business, he doesn't have a background in, in long-term care. <clears throat> but then no, 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 there's no one uh, that uh, we're aware of uh, uh, in the in the party that in the elected officials the premier could have put in his place. And what he does have is management experience. He knows how to how, how to manage, and he knows how to run uh, a ministry, a very complicated uh, ministry. And I think that's works. What we're expecting of him is that uh, he's going to manage this seriously and insist that uh, uh, that the work be done properly, and also. He will have clout at the uh, table, uh, probably more clout at the uh, cabinet table than uh, Marilee Fullerton uh, ever had. And he, he won't he won't be the kind of person we think who will want to play second fiddle uh, to the Department of Health, as David was uh, indicating, making long term care uh, a, a poor a poor sister uh, in in the system. Uh, he's he's a, a guy who takes control. And he's going to want to take control. His whole his whole career will be judged on the results of what he does in this file. Now, let me just add, if I could, just jump in for one second. I mean, he started his career as an executive assistant to Mel Lastman when he was mayor of Toronto. So he's he's seen all those ins and outs of the multi levels of government. I'm, he could succeed. He could fail. I'm not, you know, making a pitch for him. But on paper, he brings just a lot more. Uh, you know, heat to this role. He he took over OLG. Let's remember when it was beset by a scandal. It was badly run. He turned that around. So I think he's he's sort of a uh, he's got the credentials, at least on paper, as Bill said, to be taken far more seriously. And I think that uh, he is in the eye of the storm. And I think uh, he's there because uh, Ford believes, at any rate, that he can produce some tangible wins uh, in the run-up to the next election. Uh, he's also a protege and friend of Paul Godfrey, who is a political master. So yeah. uh, he, he, learned, he learned from uh, people who are very good at this. Now, um, either David or B, one of the uh, criticisms of this government's approach to long-term care, and that's for the long end of it, is that completely focused on more beds in long-term care facilities, and we will never have enough capacity if that's what we do, and we won't have uh, options that people want. So my question, David, is is having it kind of siloed out, I mean, Ministry of Long-Term Care means, you know, they've got nursing homes and nothing else. Is, is that a, a problem? Well, I, 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 we know that they can't get enough beds done quickly enough. I think probably Phillips knows that. And he's got two third-party reports, one from the Morocco Commission and one from the uh, Auditor General, to tell him that in addition to building more beds or creating more beds, you've got these other weaknesses in your system that are absolutely making you dysfunctional. And I think there is a lot of organizational uh, low-hanging fruit, if you will, fixing the inspection system, getting more inspectors, insisting that every medical chief medical officer of every nursing home be trained in infection prevention control, which they are not. Uh, defining their roles better, which is, has not been the case in the past. So there's a lot of uh, 
systemic fixes that he can bring in, I think that both he and Elliot are both, and Ford certainly are smart enough to know that the that the road to more beds is a long road. I think CARP knows that. I don't think CARP is sitting here saying we're, we we think we can have twenty or 30,000 more beds in the next six months. So they're going to try to do that. They're going to try to make those, you know, nice announcements. But I think there's other harder stuff that they that they need to deal with that they can fix and that he's going to try to fix. And I'm looking for some uh, – they are very concerned with optics, as you said. I, I'm looking for some tangible action in some of those other areas that were neglected. And they're going to wave that around like a flag, and and they'll deserve to take credit if they can do it by the next election. Uh, let's get to some other things. So we're, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, it it seems to be the beginning of the end. Canada has caught up in the the vaccination rollout. A lot of us are. We have our our two doses just this morning. Travel restrictions are being eased for people who are fully vaccinated. Um, Peter, what do you think that this the impact is on the demographic? I know that older people, a lot of them have been very hesitant and, uh, you know, to come out of this um, more careful with restrictions. What do you think the let's say the beginning of the end hopefully is for the demographic? A lot of them have put off travel plan, uh, travel you know, plans for a year and a half now. And um, this demographic travels a lot. They have family in the States. They have homes in the States. They um, they go to Europe a lot, you know. Um, so, so number one, um, you know, it's going to be slow, I think, but but I think, um, you know, people are going to start booking trips. And, and I don't have any numbers on this. I, I, I know there are, um, you know, uh, CARP travel approved uh Companies that would be able better to speak to it, but it, but I'm sure people are are you know very anxious to uh, get to their homes, get to see their families, and and just travel because they they put it off for a year and a half, and um, you know they don't they don't really have that much time left. You know they ha- they ne- they need to go on these trips, and and I, I think there'll be a great uh, push to travel. Well, yeah, there's a huge uh, pent up demand Absolutely. for. For travel, David, but do you see any kind of, you know, I I have some friends who are a bit older and they really have isolated themselves, you know, more than others. Do you see any kind of impact in terms of isolation and that? I I don't really, uh, as a group, individuals could vary, but as a group, I don't think so. I think that they're they're going to um, try to get out as much as they can consistent with, uh, you know, their lifestyle from before. Um, I think they're maybe not the first people that are going to rush out to, uh, uh, to do, you know, whatever it is. But I, I, I'm already seeing all of the, all of my contemporaries that I talk to are visiting. They're going out. They're certainly outdoors. We're heading into nice weather. Uh, many are cottage owners. So I, I don't think they're going to be noticeably lagging. Uh, I think on the good news side, I think that, and we've done, we've done some surveys of our audience, uh, they are going to be um, online. They're going to continue online a lot more. I, we, one of the things that they told us midway through the pandemic was, uh, what, what, how has it changed your habits? We asked them, and many of them said, well, I didn't realize all the things I could buy online, and, man, I'm going to keep doing that. So I think some of it's going to be um, new habits learned, you know, during this. And as mixed in with their return to, uh, you know, uh, the life that there was before. Hmm. Bill? Well, uh, anecdotally, of course, because uh, we haven't uh, uh, done our more recent survey yet, which is coming up uh, this month. And by the end of the month, we'll have some definitive answers. But what we're what we're hearing is that uh, there is pent up demand, but there's also worry about uh large groups so that we what we do know that our cart members are telling us that they do want to travel uh many of them are looking at in canada travel rather than uh, outside of canada at this point feeling more comfortable doing that and they're looking at smaller uh smaller venues smaller ways of uh, doing it we know from uh, 
our friends in the uh, in the theater community who have surveyed patrons uh, that there is a hesitation from older patrons about coming back, for instance, to large theater gatherings of that sort of thing, which is is worrisome to the theater uh, community. That shows that there there is there is a hesitation. Yes, they're impatient to travel to do things, but uh, our members are still going to be uh, very very careful, and they're and they're still not convinced that the good results we seem to be uh, seeing are going to continue for the rest of the summer. So uh, I hope that they're, they're, they're wrong and just being over, uh, over cautious, but uh, the jury is still out on how much activity they're going to want to have in the short term. Mm -hmm. And what about this whole, like uh, the government is apparently mulling some kind of vaccine passport right now. We've got emails and pieces of paper. Manitoba has one. Uh, Peter, are, are Zoomers clamoring to have some kind of clarity on all this so they can get on with it? Well, you know, Libby, if there was a, if there was a document that, uh, you know, would, would ease the confusion and the restrictions around travel, I'm sure, I'm sure travelers would jump at it, you know. Um, and it's not just travel. It's, it's going to, like, um, you know, Bruce Springsteen is having a show on Broadway, and only fully vaccinated people can go to that show. So it's going to be it's going to be entertainment. It's going to be dining. It's going to be going to a baseball game, maybe like it, it's you know and 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 whether like a single passport, for lack of a better word, helps uh, facilitate you know the opening. Then I then I think people will go for it. Yeah, and there, I mean we're going to get into this more in the back half of the show, but uh, <clears throat> there was that color, back and color, forth first skeptical. Pardon? Sorry. Yeah, color me skeptical. I'm sorry. Uh, you're skeptical yeah, when, of what? When, when good we, luck, when good we luck implementing this. Pardon? So good, good luck implementing this. What the vaccine passport? Yeah, I mean they can't. I mean you're just going to add another layer of process onto a series of steps, not one of which has been efficiently executed. Well, you well, know, David, I, I understand your your hesitation with with how, with how it'll happen, but you know when we did the. Uh, uh, the show with Libby talking about uh, uh, the vaccine passports. The, re- the response that I got back, and I got a lot of it from our, our members, was 100 percent in, in sure. favor. Oh, no, no I, I'm not. There's I'm not knocking the idea. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. but David, I mean, Israel has a green pass, and the EU has a green pass. Yeah, Are we not yeah. capable? Uh, I'll take the fifth amendment. <laughs> we not no, I'm not against the idea. I'm not against the idea, but they, 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 I just, I'm skeptical of their ability. They being the government generally, provincial, federal, what have you. But I want to go back to something that, that you're going to, I think you're going to get that bill. So you're going to get a hybrid of both. You're going to get travel, but stay away from mass. Uh, audiences, both. I remember, you may remember, Libby, because it was a friend of yours of 10 months ago, eight months ago, talked about uh, traveling to Florida because I can isolate right. there. Once I get there, I'll be isolated. So on the one hand, I'm doing my travel, but on the other hand, I'm being very prudent about where I go and what I do. And I think you're going to see that kind of gradualism and that kind of hybrid. But on a mass scale, producing a passport um, that will really be universally recognized and followed is not going to be the easiest thing in the world. Well, I don't know. I mean, if 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 they just follow our government, just follows the lead of European Union. I mean, every country has different rules, but they have a European Union Green Pass, which yeah. was modeled on the Israeli one. So if if we just you know follow the leader. Maybe we can get that done. I mean, again, yeah. no, we're for sure. I'm I'm for it, but uh, we'll yeah. see. Um, I see we have a caller from the states who wants clarity on on uh, the border restrictions. Uh, uh, well, we'll take we'll take the call, but we're really going to be getting to that in the next. Um, actually, Bill in Huntsville, Alabama. Just hang on, we're getting to that whole issue in the second half of the show. Uh, we're sort of running out of time here, so let's go around the table, starting with Bill. What would you like to leave us with? Well, uh, coming back to our original uh, topic, we're going to be watching Rod Phillips very carefully. And the first thing that uh, our members were telling me over the weekend is he wants them to tighten up 
the uh, inspection system and enforce the uh, inspection reports. And they, they, they think that that's probably one of the easiest things to do if it's done properly. So get at it and get those inspections done and acted upon. Peter? Yeah, I'd like to close by uh, giving a shout out to the new environmental minister. He's uh, his name's David Pacini, and he was an intern with Zoomer magazine <laughs> many years ago. Oh. So, uh, we trained him well, I think, and uh, yeah, best of luck on his new portfolio. Okay, and 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 I hope he gets us to the point where I don't have to keep asking my husband as I'm dealing with dinner, uh, can we recycle this? <laughs> I'll tell him that. <laughs> and, and, and then he says, go to the wizard, the, the recycling wizard. Yeah. It just boggles the mind. Uh, David, the last word to you. We're going to be watching closely um, what Rod Phillips does, but I think he has it in his hands to do the right thing on a number of issues that are short and medium term, and I'm optimistic that his presence alone is a signal that uh, Ford is very serious, A, about getting it done, and B, about the political price he will pay if he doesn't get it done. Okay. On that note, we wrap things up from this week's edition of the Zoomer Squad. Thank you so much, Peter Mugridge, David Kravitz, and Bill Van Gorder. Thank you, Libby. Thank you. Uh, We're taking a break. When we come back, we are going to delve into the changing guidance, AstraZeneca, mixing doses. What does it mean to us? Why are people frustrated and annoyed? And also uh, these new rules for travel, which also are not entirely clear, but they just came out a couple of hours ago. So we're going to get into that on the other side of the break. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Last week, NASI's guidance on AstraZeneca changed yet again, frustrating and annoying many of the 2 million Canadians who received that vaccine. Now, what NASI said last week was that those of us who had a first AstraZeneca shot would be better off getting a second dose of something else. And this came just a few days after the guidance that AZers should make their own decisions and that any choice was fine. Now, NASI keeps saying that they keep changing because the science does, but I have been talking about the possible advantage of mixing doses with our next guest for a couple of months now. And here on the show, we also discussed the results of two small Spanish studies, which showed that it was a good idea. NASI, on the other hand, waited to release their guidance until after people started receiving and booking their second doses. And, uh, you know, that's the issue I have with them. The numbers to call, what do you think? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. I'd like to welcome Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of the Provinces, COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. Hi, Dr. Uni. Hi, good afternoon. So, uh, am I... Am, am I right or wrong to uh, be annoyed at NASI for the way their guidance has been released? I think you're a bit harsh, Libby. Okay. This is, we need to be aware of that. The, the situation we're in is typically uh, not happening within weeks, but within several years. I'm sitting in guidelines committees, you know, and typically every four years we have a new guideline. And here, things are happening every week, every two weeks or so, and things are evolving, the condition is evolving, and therefore guidance is changing. And what we're talking about right now is just relatively new evidence, which is in line with what we discussed, you and I, before, of course, yep. that just now clearly just indicates, look, we have Delta, this, this new variant that is actually really more transmissible in the province, and we know that Moderna and Pfizer just works better against 
those, and therefore um, NASI is, is uh, revising their guidelines. What actually should happen with all of us is we should actually be grateful for NASI, even so they have a difficult job. They really go with the science, and what you know is they will not just make you know some convenient statement that could be convenient to a political leadership. They will make the statement that is in the best interest of the people. Right now, it's take an mRNA vaccine. It doesn't matter which one it is. And this will protect you and the population better against Delta. Right. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, that they 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 don't seem to be aware of the impact on on people who maybe don't follow this to the letter. And and, uh, you know, just given the things that you and I have talked about in the past and that I've talked about with other immunologists, it seems to me that they could have said, you know what, maybe we'll come out with this before people have had that second dose. Yeah, it is maybe, you know, I, I was just talking about the situation uh, uh, regarding children with, uh, with home at this morning. And we also need to be aware there again, there will be new data coming, etc. And things will change. What people need to understand is we're really just abreast of the scientific literature. Um, NASI tries to help. We, the science table, try to help as much as we can. We're in continued discussion with, uh, with, uh, with uh, the leadership, for instance, of the vaccine rollout program. And we're actually doing tremendously well. And we, we will, if we continue what we're doing right now, win the race against Delta, which is absolutely different from the situation we were in when Alpha was uh, harassing us in February, March. Okay. Um, what do you say to people? Because now there are uh, people who've taken AstraZeneca, perhaps as two doses, who are feeling that they have an inferior product. On the other hand, they're hearing from uh, other authorities, it's a good vaccine, don't stress. Uh, I mean, my take is that the advantage for doing it the other way, it, it's, uh, it's kind of a marginal advantage. It's, it, is it, what's your view? It's a good vaccine, don't stress. That's exactly the, the, the point here. So first of all, we need to be aware of that. Against the Vietnamese disease, the different types of vaccines are all similarly protective. So your um, probability to end up in hospital because of COVID-19 is reduced by the same extent, by 90 to 95% after AstraZeneca twice, after um, Moderna or after Pfizer, all good, or in a combination. The point is, this is about, you know, getting uh, uh, potentially uh, infected and then transmitting the disease. There, Moderna and Pfizer are a bit better. But you see, any of those vaccines now in the vast majority of people reduces COVID-19. That was really threatening in quite a few people just to a sniffle. That's the difference, and that's the difference that is the most important for individuals. At the population level, what also counts, of course, is that everybody is as, as much protected as possible against infections, and that's where the second dose uh, preference for uh, Moderna or Pfizer comes in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're starting to hear that likely we're going to need, all going to need a, a third shot, a booster anyway. Oh, that's most likely the case. When you look at what's happening, you know, in a few months from now, we will talk about another variant. My wife, Eleanor, yesterday was just saying, what will it be then, you know, uh, in terms of the, uh, of, the, of the Greek letters of the alphabet? Hmm. It will continue. We need to be aware of that. And this means that most likely there will be an extra happening as much as we had this for flu vaccines. We talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, th- this is a, a little bit of a, of a leap, but I've also started to hear that this mRNA technology is is very innovative and may end up being used for other types of vaccines, including a flu vaccine. Oh, sure. This is such a leap forward technologically. This is, you know, I call it a plug and play vaccine to a certain extent. You're much more flexible and you can actually really change um, what, what, uh, what you're basically ex- exposing the body to relatively swiftly. Once we're in the flow of things, this, you know, this will not be the next, the first iteration of this vaccine, but perhaps in two or three iterations from now, this will probably just work out the way it worked out with flu vaccines.
Hmm. Uh, Dr. Yuni, what would you like to leave us with on this? And, and, and again, your message to people who might be uh, uh, feeling a little strange about mixing doses and AstraZeneca and all of that. So first of all, this is no different than brands of of, of gasoline. You don't care; you just go to the uh, and, and get new gas for your car. It's the same here now, and I really mean that. My wife Elena tomorrow will get Moderna after the first dose Pfizer, for example. I received yesterday in the evening new data from the province of Ontario indicating that Moderna is at least as good as Pfizer, also against the Delta variant. Taking all of this together, let's just continue the good work we're doing. We're actually world leading now with our vaccine rollout. And if we now just get as many people to first doses who still need first and as many people to second doses as possible, you know, we will be through with this very, very soon. So let's just keep going. Let's help each other. As we, we can do that. We did it before. And now just, uh, you know, may, let's make it to the finish line during the next six, seven weeks. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Peter Uni. Thanks a lot for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we will talk about that breaking news about uh, new uh, guidelines for travelers. And uh, we'll also be talking to Justin Bates of the Ontario Pharmacists Association. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Good news for travelers. The government has listed, lifted many of the restrictions for fully vaccinated citizens and permanent residents returning here from abroad. Now what they need is a negative test within 72 hours of coming back home. And travelers will have to take another test on landing and have a quarantine plan in place in case they test positive. So what does this mean for the travel industry? Uh, what does it mean for the pharmaceutical industry? There's going to be a bigger demand for tests. And what are the ethical implications? And uh, are some vaccines better than others for the purposes of getting into various events? We saw the whole uh, Bruce Springsteen brouhaha unfold over the weekend. Let me give the numbers out again, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I'd like to bring in Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association, Kerry Bowman, bioethicist with the University of Toronto, and Dr. Frederick Dimanche from Ryerson University's Ted Rogers School of Hospitality and Tourism. Let's begin with Justin. Hello. Good afternoon. Great to be back on. Thank you. Uh, Justin, so a couple of things. So first of all, uh, what is going on? I gather that the change in guidance on second AstraZeneca shots uh, has uh, thrown a lot of pharmacists for a loop and, and messed with their supplies. Well, it certainly has created greater demand for either Pfizer or Moderna, and I'm glad to see a lot of movement uh, with experts uh, with public health messaging around the value of, um, while not identical, but accepting either or of Moderna and Pfizer, regardless of your first shot, knowing that they're interchangeable, safe and effective to mix. But uh, with the, you know, with that news, Ontario and the Ministry of Health decided to keep its status quo from the perspective of eligibility. So you can still get a second dose of AstraZeneca uh, or you can mix. Um, I certainly think the messaging that came out uh, from NACI is Created some confusion, and people are certainly looking at their options and talking to their healthcare professional to pick the best one that uh, meets their individual circumstances. But we have seen a lot more demand for uh, the mRNAs, and we now know that Pfizer is delayed um, indefinitely right now. So that's putting a lot of pressure on pharmacies because half of our pharmacies are exclusive to Pfizer. And uh, are are a lot of uh AstraZeneca doses going uh, begging, uh, wanting? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen it like two different sort of small sample sizes. One store had 100 appointments for AstraZeneca second dose before the announcement. Um, they were able to uh, have those conversations with their patients and 83 elected to get the second dose. Another pharmacy that had the same amount of people 
had about five elect to get the AstraZeneca, and there wasn't enough supply for all of the others um, to get uh, the Pfizer uh, vaccine. So, you know, I think we'll we'll see more of that data coming in in terms of where the percentages are, but um, there is a risk of wastage there if um, certainly we have them in the fridges right now and they're not used. Well, I, I certainly hope that if they're not used, they at least go to another country that needs vaccinations. Uh, Dr. Bowman, what do you make of all of this back and forth? Yeah, it, it, it really is creating a great deal of confusion. You know, I, I know a couple of people, Libby, that, that were scheduled for second AstraZeneca and wanted second AstraZeneca, not feeling comfortable uh, with the mix. And in fact, are opting out because they feel there's going to be trouble ahead in relation to, you know, not just Bruce Springsteen, uh, but broader travel. Uh, you know, as I might have mentioned, I myself am in that category. Um, I don't want to mix them. That's just my personal decision, uh, meaning I don't want to mix AstraZeneca with something else. I don't feel there's enough long-term evidence on that. That's my choice, my informed choice. But are but, you getting you know, a second dose then of AstraZeneca? Yeah, I've got a second dose of AstraZeneca, but I, I would, you know, I want a second dose of AstraZeneca. But, you know, I must admit, I, I now would have been, I, I, too late, I'm already vaccinated, tempted because I need to work overseas. So, you know, my point with that, Libby, is that it can compromise autonomy, you know, and, and free choice. If people say, you know, I don't even want to mix them, but there's so much negativity now related to AstraZeneca that I feel like, uh, you know, I, I, I better because I've got to travel or I, I you know, want to see Bruce Springsteen or I, I think Bruce Springsteen concerts relented on that, if I understand. Yes, uh, they. Yeah, but you you still can't get to see Saturday Night Live. I've, I've, I've said okay. this before. Uh, the New York especially relies so much on tourism that I just and, and we've seen, you know, American mayors clamoring for the borders to be open. I cannot see them shutting out to Two million Canadians and tens of millions of Brits who've had AstraZeneca cannot see that. No, I- um, yeah, and and but you know, and the, there's this whole issue of uh, Dr. Dimanche. We've seen a relaxing of restrictions for travel, but it, it looks like, at least in the initial phases, it's pretty darn complicated. Yes, it remains complicated, and remember that those restrictions have been lifted lightly only for the Canadian travelers. You know, the border is still closed at this time. And uh, even though you might be American and double vaccinated, um, you, you won't be able to come to Canada for another few weeks, probably. I don't know when, you know, the government is going to make that decision. But I think that contributes also to to the difficulty for the public to understand whether those vaccines are efficient, whether they are not, you know, can we travel, can we not travel? Why can we allow uh, Canadians to travel with double vaccinations or fully vaccinated, I should say, and we prevent uh, international visitors to, to come into our country? So um, that's, I think, complex to understand. Uh, yeah, and... Uh Justin, do you anticipate, I mean, uh, uh, an increase in demand for tests from pharmacies and pressure? I mean, it's it's not necessarily that simple. If you have, there, there are two kinds of tests. One, they wanted 72 hours in advance. I think there's another that's only 48. So you have to kind of time it so that you're getting the test at the right time, but you also need the result. I mean, isn't this going to put a lot of pressure on, on the system? Sure. And, and right now, the gold standard is the PCR test, which is the lab-based test, and it does take uh, time to turn around and, and plan ahead. Certainly, rapid antigen testing has uh, seen an evolution in terms of its regulatory approvals and applications, and you're seeing more and more small businesses through the Ontario Chamber of Commerce and pharmacies distribute them. And, you know, with the now ability to take home these tests and do self-administered tests, uh, I think that's a good thing because they're more readily available. But the PCR testing is still not that accessible. Um, You have uh, certainly the public health centers that are doing it, um, and you have some pharmacies across the province, but it's a very small subset. So I don't know how they're going to operationalize this. There was a pilot, I believe, that uh, had some challenges with the Pearson International Airport and a couple of others across the country uh, a few months ago. And uh, I don't think that was necessarily uh, well implemented, but uh, one of the considerations is going to be how do you do this cost effectively, make it equitable? 
uh, and get it into as many hands as possible. Well, I mean, if people are taking the test for traveling, they've got to pay. It's not exactly a, a health necessity. Exactly. And, and it's, a pay um, model is challenging for sure. Well, I mean, the costs that I've seen in various places, Dr. Dimanche, I mean, it's, it's uh, pretty close. It's about 200 bucks. I mean, I suppose that if you can take a trip somewhere, you can you can afford the two hundred bucks each way for that. But yeah, that is very expensive indeed. And and when you start to plan for for tourism to to reopen, you know, think about the cost of getting such a test, but also the difficulty of getting it for international travelers. Unless we do a better job at making those tests available, it's going to be quite difficult. Um, you know, there are some countries where those tests, tests uh, sorry, are being covered by, um, you know, your, your national security insurance, right? Um, it's too expensive here, I believe. I, I look at the situation in the UK as well. It's very expensive. A lot of people are complaining about this. They think it's a, it's a racket by the pharmaceutical industry and, and, and the government. Um, so before there will be too many complaints, I, I think it will be wise for the government to uh, pay attention to this and regulate this. Well, you know what? It's interesting. I was talking to a friend in Halifax on the weekend, and they need tests for all kinds of things. I mean, her husband needed a test to get his cancer checkup, and she said, oh, they're really easy to get there, and the government pays for them. So there you go. Big difference from one province to the next. Yeah. I am going to take a call from Bill in Huntsville, Alabama. He's been very waiting very patiently. Hi, Bill. Hi. Thanks for taking my call, Libby. I appreciate it. Okay. What's your question? Um, so my wife and I are Canadians that moved to Huntsville, Alabama in 2017 to start a business. Um, we're still Canadian citizens. We haven't been able to see our uh, adult kids since uh, uh, 2019, obviously. And... Um, we know that there was a relaxation of the rules regarding family reunification, but uh, obviously the hesitancy there was because we would have to self-quarantine for 14 days. Well, so we th- this this just changed a couple of hours ago. Bill, are you and your wife fully vaccinated, two doses? We are with Moderna. Okay, and, and well... I, I understand uh, that they did change the rules on uh, on the quarantine, and I'm just wondering... Yeah, they did. Um, okay. You now, can go the to the question, website, and we've been repeated, uh, repeating, you're a Canadian, you can come back, you need a test 72 hours, you've got to upload uh, your vaccine status, there's an app that you need. Yeah, I've got the app, Arrive Can. Arrive Can, exactly, uh, yeah. so you need 72 hours, you need to take another one. Here's what I'm confused about, and I'm going to let you go and stay tuned, maybe one of our panelists knows the answer. I'm confused. Do you have to quarantine until you get the result of the test you take at Pearson? Uh, so I, I I'm was not arrived by land. Pardon? I was going to arrive by land. I was going to drive to uh, the oh. Detroit Tunnel. Well, that's that's a lot easier. Anyway, Bill, thanks for your call, and uh, hope you get back here. Thank you. Bye bye. Uh, do any of you know the answer to that? Do you, uh, under the new rules, uh, Doctor Bowman, do people have to quarantine until they get the results of the second test, or you just you know what? I don't know. I, I I was wondering about that this morning myself. Okay, well, I guess we'll have to wait. The other thing, yeah. the other thing that that I'd like to know right now, there are a lot of places where you go, like a grocery store where they ask, uh, have you or anyone in your household traveled in the last 14 days? So is that going to come off? If the person who travels doesn't have to quarantine, is is a family member going to be allowed into the grocery store? <laughs> Does anyone want to take that? Or maybe they have to show proof of a uh, negative test in order to uh, uh, get through. I mean, it's those are the complexities that we need to understand because it has real practical implications to our everyday lives. Well, yeah, I mean, it just it just seems like, uh, frankly, and, and I had a travel panel on on Thursday, and, and even the travel agents were saying, you know, it's just such a hassle now. I'm, I'm advising my clients not to go. Uh, Dr. Yeah. Dimanche, uh, do you have a view of all these, you know, hurdles people have to pass? Well, the, the hurdles continue, as, as you know. You know, it's been difficult to travel, but, but I think there is still a lot of misinformation. I, I listened to, uh, to your previous caller, and, and uh, when he said he cannot come back to, to Canada, I'm surprised, because all Canadian citizens are allowed to go back to Canada, should, right. should they want to. 
and cross the border. So uh, I think there is still a lot of misinformation, um, and and that's I don't know why. You know, the, the government is not clearly well. He was uh, he was uh, more worried about the quarantine on the other side of coming back, and he said he wants to go through land. I know a lot of people get out of it by going through land, even though that's not entirely on the up and up. But yeah, that's that quarantine is a, you know, once now that that quarantine is off for people who are fully vaccinated, I think uh, the floodgates are open. open. Okay. We are uh, almost out of time. Uh, People, you can call back tomorrow. I'm going to go around the table and see what our, what do our uh, panelists want to leave us with Carrie Bowman. Yeah, you know, let me just put your last comments. I, I think, we, you know, the grocery store thing is a good example. And, and the fact that none of us are completely certain on these things is not a good sign. And not for us, but, but for the society in general, because we are people that tend to follow this. But, you know, if they don't remain nimble, people, as we know, are at the end of their ropes. And also, now that we're above 75% preliminary vaccine, you know, if the rules just look bureaucratic and, and outdated even by a week or a month or something, people, this whole thing is going to start to unravel. So we really need leadership that's on top of this, that has coherent evidence-based rules at all times. And, and do you think we have that now? No, yes. I don't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Justin Bates. Along the same line, things are very confusing. Everything from the rollout, who's eligible, where I go and when. And it's no different here. We're sort of cherry picking certain aspects of the guidance for fully vaccinated people on the travel. But I think there should already be protocols clearly communicated out on what you can and can't do being fully vaccinated and what that means in terms of uh, accessing uh, your everyday life. Because we can't continue in this cycle of constantly opening and closing. And we've got to give some hope and clear guidance about what it means to be fully vaccinated. Dr. Frederick Dimash, 20 seconds. Yes, I agree with all of this. Um, I would add that I'm myself a happy double vaccinated as a Strenica person, and, I'm, and I certainly don't regret that choice. But the other thing I wanted to, to end with is to say uh, the government has to provide instructions also about people, Canadians, who got a vaccination first in Canada and maybe a second one abroad. We know many Canadians receive vaccination in the United States, for example, or elsewhere, and we need to know the rules about this as well. Okay, good point. Uh, just another complicating thing. Thank you so much, Dr. Frederick Dimanche, Dr. Carrie Bowman, and Justin Bates. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Thanks. Thanks, Libby. Thank Bye. you very much. Bye-bye. And that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.